Continuing on, uh, let's look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 35 and 36. We're talking of angels. But those who are counted worthy, he's answering the Pharisees. They were trying to trap him at certain questions. And they basically brought up a woman was married seven times and all of her husbands died. And so when she gets to heaven, who's going to be her husband? There was a good arguing point there. And he straightens them out very quickly. He said, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Marriage and sex and romance is for this world. It's not going into the next. So it's going to be a great disappointment for many religions and even Islam. Their main goal is to get 17 virgins so they can have orgasm and sex to eternity because they're corrupted in their thinking. All their sexual thinking is perverted. And the Lord simply said it's for this realm. It's for the animalistic realm. That's what makes us more like the animals. He gives us the sex desires to reproduce. And with man, he added pleasure and romance and things to go along with it. But that's for those who stayed in the Lord. So none of the corruption's going in. So there isn't going to be these things going into heaven. It must have disappointed a lot of the adulterous Pharisees, okay? But he said they are, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age, the next life, and the resurrection from the dead. Now he's talking about the resurrection again, whether their body or their soul spirit, okay? He said when they're resurrected, they're neither married nor are given in marriage. See, all of that's of the lower realm. It passes away. It's going to be like, only thing we can explain it somewhat. When we have a baby that's only a two months old, all the baby wants is milk. It's mother's breast and milk. And all it does is poop and cry if it doesn't get what it wants. It has no concept. You can't feed it a steak. You can't feed it lobster. And so it would spit it out or choke on it. It has no desire. And that's how we are in this realm. All of those things are like milk. And but when we put on immortality, those things won't even be thought of. We as adult humans know there's thousands of foods that taste better than milk. So we don't live off of just milk anymore. And that's how it's going to be in heaven. The scripture says the former things will pass away. And so it will not even come into their memory. So it doesn't appear that angels are married. It doesn't appear that they're having sex with each other because they are sexless. They're always referred to in the masculine as God is. But when he made Adam and Eve, he man, he made them male and female because they were going to reproduce and populate the world. It's of the natural realm. And he says what? They're neither married or given a marriage. Nor can they die anymore, so all humans die, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So whatever our relationship is, it's going to be with God. It doesn't appear we're going to have special angels to entertain us. They seem to have a relationship with God himself, and maybe we don't need it with other beings to that degree. One thing for it is, the Lord said, I am a jealous God. 
Now, isn't it astounding? He has millions of angels, and he may have millions of Christians, but he doesn't let them communicate with us on a regular basis. Because of their holiness and their nature being so much like God, people would worship them and fall in love with them. And God is a jealous God. He said, I'm a jealous God. He didn't make the angels nor us for somebody else, okay? And so he said, they will be equal. Some people try to say we'll be higher than angels. Scripture doesn't teach that. Now, certain individuals might be, Paul and Job, they may be higher than a lot of angels. And they may not be higher than Michael or Gabriel or the cherubs and the seraphim. That's God's business. He created the angelic realms at different levels. And Christians acquire those levels when they're resurrected. He gives them according to their works, their rank and file in heaven. And the Bible implies that well-meaning Christians that are teaching stupid things, not heresy themselves, but other little bondages, he said they will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. But I'm sure the least person in heaven is happy, and he's not jealous, and he's not running around seeing who's above him. He's past all of that. There is no envy and pride. And he's able to look and say, they got what they deserved, and I get what I deserve. And they don't torment him with what he doesn't have. See, God makes it okay for everybody. But he himself knows their rank and file and what he's going to give them. That's called being the rewards of righteousness. And hell, even the ranks and file, says the hypocrite will receive the greater damnation. So evidently, there's going to be rank and file in the punishments in the lake of fire, okay? So who are counted worthy? Those in Christ Jesus, those who follow Christ and are led by a spirit, the body of Christ, the real Christian, that's who's accounted worthy. He counts them worthy. As Hebrews says, God is not unjust to forget the good deeds you've done toward the saints. So when people say, well, I don't look to, well, you're a liar and a hypocrite. God's nature is to punish wickedness and reward righteousness. So all of everything we do, we do because Christ helps us and he joins us. And therefore, we're rewarded for it. And it's God's intention to it. So you insult God by thinking you're better than he is. Uh-huh. Okay, we get all the rewards we deserve, and the wicked get all the punishments they deserve. Not one idle word is going to be overlooked, okay? So the angels are eternal, everlasting. They never can die. So that's how we're going to be equal to angels. They'll never see the second death, the lake of fire, as a third of the angels or demons now, devils do. They are equal. We who resurrect, we are equal to angels, People think that only humans are made in the image of God. There's no scripture that says the angels aren't. Actually, angels are higher than we are. And even though we'll be given a higher position in heaven, never says we'll be above them. Jesus made it plain. He said we'll be equal. Of course they were made. Lucifer's name, he was a cherub higher than an angel. He was probably the highest being next to God. He was the light bearer. 
He bore the light of God in a way that other angels did not. He was created for that, okay? And the day he was created, okay? And then it said, until sin was found in you, okay? So what we're saying is, they're called the sons of resurrection. Uh -huh. They put on immortality. We'll get to that in a minute. And here the word for angel is somewhat a little different when he says we'll be like angels than most words used for angel. That word in particular here means like an angel or angelic. So that's what we're going to be like. And we are told a few things about them. Uh -huh. How shall we be like them? Jesus said the angels always do the will of God. And they always behold his face, his full glory. They're not standing in front of a throne staring at his face. Angels, wherever they are, they're in God's full presence, like people filled with the Spirit. In this world at times, they experience the fullness at a different level at different times. Well, there, there is no ups and downs. There aren't angels saying, oh, I have to work on earth. I got to get back and see God. Gabriel said when he reproved Zacharias for disbelieving, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He was like a prime minister, but God, he was right in his presence there. He didn't lack anything of God's relationship by coming to earth and doing work for the saints. See? Because God is everywhere. And even Paul said, we live and move and have our being in him. Even the wicked live and are sustained by God himself. Okay? Even the wicked in hell will be sustained by the lake of fire. For the Lord said, I am a consuming fire. His holiness shall break forth against all wickedness and sin forever. That's who he is. People forget that part. Most people are going to experience that eventually. Go to angels again. They are perfect in their lives and duties to the Lord. Doesn't appear that they make mistakes. See, everything God created, even each day he created the six days the earth and everything with it, each time he said, and it was good. So when he created the angels, like he did Lucifer, he said, you were perfect in the day you were created. He don't make flaws. So he didn't make beings that had to learn and grow. They were different. They were created instantly. That's what makes us different. We acquire things from our parents physically, of personalities, but we can alter. Scientists sort of tell us half of what we get, we inherit, and the other half is our environment. We can do things. And identical twins have proved that. In different situations, they're always alike, but in some, they're different. They take on different jobs. They do different things. They marry. But angels were not created that way. So they came into being, being what they were supposed, supposed to be before the Lord, and that's what he wanted out of them. And he still evidently wants that of them, because they continue forever with Christ also. Okay, First John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, 
we are now the children of God. That's true. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We are told by Paul we will put on immortality. All the corruption will be left behind. Okay? But we shall know him when he is revealed, and we shall be like him, like the angels are, for we shall see him. The word is not physical eyes. It's perception. It's understanding. It's a knowing knowledge, not a knowing about who he is. So when we put on the resurrection, like the angels, whatever it is, it's what God intended. He intended us to experience him and be in relationship for eternity. And that's what we're made for, okay? And that's why he adds in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope of him coming and changing us purifies himself just as he is pure. Because if he doesn't keep himself purified, he's not going. The Bible said, you'll not be ashamed. The word is disappointed. Most Christians aren't Christians, and a lot of them that are, they've fallen and they're mixed with the world. Uh, They may think they're carnal and they're going to heaven. He said if they're not pure, he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. This means they're not practicing gross sin. They're not rebelling. They're not having to be chastened and dealt with constantly. So when he comes, if they're in that state, they're left. See, That's why they're going to be disappointed. They do not walk in spiritual purity. They're not going. Plain and simple. So that's why he warns us what we're to do or to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So many people are looking for the rapture, but most of them are not going. See, they think because they're born again, they're going, "Uh uh-uh. If they're not following the Lord and they're carnal and they get absorbed with the world and they don't have much time for God and they still think they're Christians, whether they're going to find out something different when the Lord returns. So our resurrected being shall be much better than it is here. Here we're on probation. Here we have the world, the flesh, and the devil to warfare constantly. And we have to overcome. And that's why Jesus said to the seven churches, each one of them, he didn't say you've already overcome. The heretics misquote John. John said we've overcome. Yeah, in the present, if you're following the Lord. It didn't say you've overcome to the end. When Jesus says each church is to overcome, he's talking to Christians. He means to the end. And then he tells you what the rewards will be. He never said you've already overcome. He never guaranteed then make it. It's if you do these things, if you obey the Lord and a letter of the Spirit, then this is what you'll get. And if you don't, You won't get it, okay? So that nullifies a lot of false teaching, a lot of false Christians, a lot of misguided, backslidden Christians. If you live a carnal, worldly life, you're not going to make it. And you're not a Christian. If you practice these things, Paul said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he could have added just as clearly, because if you practice these things, you're no longer a Christian. The Father has cut the branch off because it won't bear fruit. It won't abide in the Lord anymore, okay? So in such a manner, 
away and form, we shall be like angels. And we shall know God as he knows us. There won't be no everlasting dread or hunger that cannot be satisfied. A lot of people don't like too much joy in their life because they know it goes away. They don't like too much sadness. They like to sort of, well, there it's going to be even. The psalm says we'll enter the fullness of joy that Christ will. And, of course, we get what he gets. He said, at his right hand is pleasures forevermore, that we will see him. We will awake, the psalmist says, with his likeness. See, we'll have put on immortality and a great nature. And the scripture tells us that Christ will show, and God, his kindness toward us forever. We'll still serve him in holiness. But it says he will spend eternity. He will show us his kindness. So whatever he made the angels for and people, that's what they're going to get. They will be satisfied. He said also in the psalmist, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So they will have the fullness of God for eternity. One of the overcoming gifts to one of the churches was that God said, I'll give you a stone. And I'll write you a new name on it that only you and I will know about. He's talking about intimacy, too. So all of the true Christians, all of those, they're going to have a stone. And they're not going to run around and show it to other people. It's for them alone. So it's showing you God's providence, his minute knowledge of everything, and his intimacy. Each angel is different to God, has personality. He made them. That way. He didn't make a bunch of clones, okay? And people are the same way, okay? So he will be the all in all to us in relationship as the Father is to the Son. And Jesus said, If you love me, my Father will love you as he loves the Son. Isn't that astounding? Whatever form he loves the Son on earth and in his bodily form, he's going to love us because we are of Christ. We are children of the kingdom. We are brothers with Christ, okay? So we shall know him as we're supposed to. We just won't know about him, but we will know him in intimacy. So at the judgment, many people at Jesus' time, they'll try to throw up to Jesus. We saw you on the streets. You taught in our streets. And we know you. And he says, I don't know you. See, they knew about him. Like we know about all the politicians on television, but we don't know them. They're not a personal friend. They don't live with us. We just know about them. And so a lot of people know about God at various levels, and they say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, but they claim to be Christians. They believe he died on the cross and resurrected again. They didn't follow him. They didn't submit to him. So the masses of so-called Christianity have never known the Lord. And then there's the group in our dark times that are going to fall away, like the five foolish virgins. And when they come knocking, he's going to say, I don't know you. He never said, I never knew you. He did know them. But they slept, which was a symbol of sin and laziness, and they let their lamps go out. The Spirit of Christ went out. But they were once his, okay? So we'll see now 
and verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Isn't that interesting? What? That the Lord's coming for us, and we're going to be changed, and we're going to get all of these good things, and whatever we've suffered, Paul said, is not worthy to compare. So what? We suffer some things in this life, and many have suffered greatly for the Lord. But James says, your life is but a vapor. So would you suffer a few years and have misery? You're going to live forever. For every suffering, you're going to live a thousand centuries. So what does it matter? And the reverse is true of those in hell. Every idle word, they'll be punished for thousands of years because eventually all their sins will be reminded and it will continue because they continue to be sinners and wicked before the Lord. Nothing changes. And God's holiness comes out against them continually. Okay? Comfort each other with these words, these words of promise, eternal, everlasting joy, love, and fullness of our life and pleasures with the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. So before going to the next verse, I would like to remind us of something. Look at Revelations, one of the churches, chapter 3. See, people look at heaven as things. It's not things. It's all tied up with God. You won't be interested in things. Now, the poor, prosperity, materialistic, false people, they think they're going to spend their time in heaven picking up gold bricks so they can get a bigger mansion. So I guess we'll see them roaming around for eternity with the wheelbarrow picking up bricks. No, what it means is the least in heaven is better than the best on earth. That's why I said you'll walk on gold. But when you get there, you're not going to say, oh, this is all mine. I don't think you're going to focus on that. These are to show us that they're greater things. No one's going to have a mansion. It's not taught in Scripture. The greedy people want a mansion. Well, a lot of people have mansions now of a million and billionaires. So if you tell them they'll get a mansion, they say, well, I'll bet you it's not as good as mine. Uh-huh. The Bible says, I will go and find you an abiding place. It's God himself. You don't need to go sleep. You don't need to rest. You don't need to get away. So you don't need a building, a coveting thing to say, oh, that's mine. The only thing that's going to be yours is your little stone with your name on it. And you won't share that with anybody. And they wouldn't dare ask you what your special name was, okay? Three, chapter three, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. A pillar is a big object that holds up the roof of the temple. You've seen them in the old temples and Greece pictures and old human temples around the world. They hold up the structure. Okay, and so he's saying, in heaven, in my temple, I'm going to make you a part of the temple. And you'll go out no more. It means you're fixed. You won't be able to fall away, to go away from God. You are fixed, permanent in your position. You can never fail again. God has fixed you in his 
temple. Now, isn't that wonderful? And people forget, though. Okay, you will what? You'll be a structure in his temple. Okay, now let's go to Revelations 21, verse 22 and 23. But I saw no temple in it. What? The New Jerusalem, the Mount of God. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Okay? And the city needed no light of the sun or moon, for God himself and the Lamb are its light. Okay? So we are a permanent fixture in God and the Lamb. They are the temple. We are fixed in God. We will know him in fullness face to face. We will be in union with him continually. As God's angels Jesus said they always behold the face of God, okay? You will be fixed forever in close relationship and fellowship in God. He's not speaking of a particular building. God is the temple. There is no physical structure or temple, okay? God in Christ is all in all. The angels always experience the fullness and the face of God. They were made for that. They are not always looking at the throne. They're not running and looking at this face and a throne. These are human concepts that are very minor and wrong. But you deal with children as their children. And that's why Paul, he said certain things, he said were impossible when he was caught up into the third heaven to honor and John said this like this, and it's like, he didn't say it was that. He had to compare earthly things to something that you could understand, and that's what he did. But until the mortal puts on immortality, there's a lot of things we won't know, and when we do find out certain things, we're going to be very surprised at what we find out, okay? Now we go to chapter 5, okay? He's continuing. These chapters and verses were put in there many centuries after the Bible was written, So, but they help us to divide sections. Remember, there were no books. There were more scrolls in the original. Then they unrolled them and rolled them back up. But they were the old saying by the Catholic monks that he was riding a donkey and when he was translating the Bible or copying, making copies, every time the donkey tripped his foot, he would say, okay, I'll put a chapter there. Uh-huh. So, But they're not inspired. They're not from the Lord. So that's why sometimes you read and you say, what do you put a chapter here? We're not finished. Well, that's true. You're wise enough to figure that out. Okay, you're a brilliant person. Chapter 5. Now as to the times and the seasons, epods, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. It's like it's been revealed. Christ talked about it. We've taught you these things, okay? For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is always the last day, the judgment day his second coming. 
And there'll be another day. Sometimes it speaks the last day of a dispensation. Paul often says we're in the last days. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. But it's under a different, if you will, some don't like the word dispensation, but it's fine. It means a different segment. He dealt with those under the old covenant differently. Now he's increased the knowledge and responsibility under Christ. Under the old, even the prophets, and when the greatest was John the Baptist, only one that didn't do a miracle, but he was considered a greater. And Jesus said, and he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. Every true Christian has a higher standing and capability than John had. He was of the old covenant. The priests, the prophets, and all of them outside of Moses, because he had to establish, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. The Christian, every time he prays, he gives them the Holy of Holies. He's given things that they weren't given. Okay, So he says the least in the kingdom of Christ is greater than them. So they were under a different dispensation. They were given certain things. And when Jesus preached to the cities of Judea and he rebuked them, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah will do better at the day of judgment than you will. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was the example of the Old Testament of God's wrath on a wicked nation. It shews his eternal fire to destroy in them. And he told the cities he went to, but you're going to be punished more. And then he made an interesting statement. Had Sodom and Gomorrah heard me preach, they would have repented. But see, that amount of grace was not given. They were responsible and they had enough, but they weren't under the dispensation of the gospel. But isn't it astounding? He said they would have repented. And so he told them, you're going to a greater punishment in hell because you were given much more and you rejected. You rejected the servant Moses, the law and the prophets, but now you rejected the one who built the house. You rejected Jehovah God, the Almighty One, which is the Son also, okay? So Christ now knows. Remember when he was on the earth, he said, I, he didn't know the time. That's true. People think he roamed the earth as God. He did not. He was a man that was conceived by God and a woman. He was a unique being, but he was made. He emptied himself of his Godhead. He could not use it. So he said the son was given life as the father. Well, the word of God, Christ in eternity, was never given life. He's always been. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There was no beginning to Christ. Jesus, there was a beginning of his humanity. And it prophesies of him. But he said he didn't know the hour. When he was 12 years old, the scripture says he grew in wisdom and knowledge. He didn't have it automatically. He learned to be about his father's business. And then when he was glorified temporarily and transfigured before the three disciples, they saw him as the word of God. 
God was giving him a taste of what was going to come because he was going to go to the cross and suffer. And God wanted to remind him that that would pass and the fullness of the Godhead would be given to you. And so when he ascended after the resurrection, he ascended to the Father. And he kept using the term before he left, when I'm glorified. That means when he returns to the Godhead completely. That's what glorification means. And that's why he said, I'm with you. I'm a human, flesh and blood. He said, but I shall be in you. He couldn't be in him as Jesus, but he's in him as Christ. Christ is the human divine being. He exercises both. As the high priest, he's bodily serving as a man. And yet as God, he's representing God at the same time. So he's unique in his position. But he knows now when he's coming back, for he's God Almighty. He knows. He's one with the Father. He kept telling them that too. And they didn't get it. But Jesus did everything when he was baptized with the Spirit that was a man. And he yielded to the Holy Spirit. And almost every miracle and every deed he did, he did as a man, yielded to God. And he could not use willfully his divinity unless he was given permission. And so when he was tempted on the mountain, the devil tried to get him to use it. After he was starving after 40 days, he said, if you're the son of God, which Jesus knew what he meant, if you're Jehovah, if you're one with the Godhead, speak and these stones will be made bread. See, he knew he could do it or it wouldn't have been no temptation. And Jesus was starving. And yet he would not do it because the father had told him not to. He said, I'll do it. And once he passed the test, it's interesting, he still wasn't allowed to use his divinity. It said angels ministered to him. What did they minister? They fed him. He didn't just instantly make food. His whole term on earth was a man yielded to God, but the devil wanted him to use his divinity because he knew it would have been disobedient not to be completely submitted to the Father as a man to redeem man. That was what he wanted, okay? And so that's why there were great temptations. And people say, oh, Jesus couldn't have been tempted. Then he was a mockery and God is a liar. And God must think we're stupid. If a person can be tested and not yield to the test, then it's not a test. Jesus not only overcame the 40 days, then he came down in the power of the Spirit. He didn't have the power of the Spirit. And then he started casting out devils because he defeated Satan, the king of the devils. And so he had power over him. But he had to overcome, and he did. And the devil left, left him for a season. He still tempted him at times, and he was aware of it. And he came through Peter, and when he talked about, I'm going to go to the cross to be crucified, and Peter grabbed him because he was affectionate to him. Oh, spare yourself. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you don't discern the things of God. See, he meant out of affection and love. He didn't want to see Jesus die. And Jesus saying, if I don't die, you'll go to hell. You'll go to the lake of fire. 
because you've committed wickedness sometime in your life and it can't be forgiven if I don't go to the cross. But he blamed the devil for influencing Peter, but he rebuked Peter. But Peter was well-meaning. He probably was shocked when the Lord basically called him the devil. But he understood it left him for a season, okay? Okay, there's a lot of thought here on this chapter that it's a double prophecy. We have that sometime in Scripture that he's not only talking about the coming of the Lord, but he's going to be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And this verse 3 we're going to see, but first of all, he was speaking of the final coming of the Lord or the rapture to catch it away. But the destruction of the nation and temple in 70 AD. Okay. Sometimes the prophets had double meanings in what they spoke. When David gave the seven Psalms where he represents Christ and talks about the, he didn't experience some of those things, but he spoke as if he did because the Spirit of the Lord moved on him as a prophet. And he probably didn't even know what he was saying. He didn't understand. The prophets sometimes gave things that they could not understand themselves, but they were moved on by the Spirit, okay? Okay, so before we go on, let's stop at chapter 5 to A. Lord, give us wisdom, give us practical understanding, help us to understand what we can understand. It was written for us, and some things were not for us now. Help us discern the difference so we don't waste time and be ready whenever you come that you'll take your own. In Jesus' name, amen.